Welcome to Turn One, a Formula One podcast. and jeremiah all right man i want you to imagine something you ready for this go you spend all of your time your money nine to five monday through friday and more overtime than anything all into one piece of machinery and y'all have a terrible day so now you gotta wait two weeks until the next race right you gotta wait two weeks to the next race you get out there you really put the time in maybe you brought a couple of upgrades maybe not you really got the balance right during practice and qualifying was really hot come out on the first lap and out you both go guys if you're just now joining us this is the hungarian grand prix with your turn one co-host jeremiah and thomas yeah we'll, we'll get jeremiah's thoughts we'll do a little quality and a little race and then some winners and losers from the week i will say I enjoyed the race overall. I thought it was a good race. There were no safety cars, no big major crashes outside of the turn one incident. Jeremiah was referencing there with the, uh, the Alpine squad. Um, but overall, just a lot of good overtakes, a lot of strategy. When you have a two or three stop race, you're going to run into a lot of undercut, overcut, medium versus hard tire, all this and that. And so we'll get into all that. But overall, I think it was a really, really good race. And we're starting to see where I think some of these teams are going to finish the season. As the announcers mentioned a couple of times, the teams are dialing back their uh, development this season. They're starting to focus on the 2024 car. So what you're seeing now is probably what you're going to see for the rest of the year. Speaking of dialing back development, so Red Bull brought some upgrades. They, reports were saying that they'd be about two tenths faster. I think it was noticeable. Me personally, I think it was pretty noticeable that they were far and away a lot faster than even maybe the last race that they had. McLaren, I think they locked that in is not a fluke. They looked powerful again. That's a, what, three, four weeks for Lando, three weeks for Oscar, or is it three weeks for Lando, two for Oscar? Regardless. Uh, three, three Lando, two Oscar. Right. Okay. Regardless, Alfa Romeo looked amazing this weekend up until the actual race itself. We'll talk about so, that in the lap by lap and turn one analysis. Sounds a lot like the Haas team, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Haas, Haas still looks strong on the one hop as Nico goes flying into Q3 again. Um, Perez with another great recovery trip. <laughs> Danny still kind of looked like an unknown just because of what we're going to touch into later. But I'll tell you what, he didn't lose position, didn't fall way back, kept up to pace, kept up to speed with everybody. He looked good out there. It wasn't too bad for the Alpha uh, AlphaTari driver. Yeah, so going back through some of those points real quick, Red Bull did not need an upgrade package and Max was quick. Granted, Max ran a lot longer on his first set of tires than I think he would have if he had to work his way up the pack. So maybe that shaved off a few seconds of his like or added a few seconds to his overall race time. He probably could have won by a minute if he wanted to. It definitely showed in Sergio being able to cut up the pack way more aggressively than he has in the pack. Uh, Sergio has had like eight races in a row of recovery drives, which, like I said, we'll get to. 
but this week he was a lot more aggressive in that recovery drive, right? He was slicing and dicing his way through the pack, which that Red Bull just, it's crazy how much better it is than every other car out there. Yeah, I'd like to see him get a little bit more consistent. Uh, the last couple notes that I had, Piastri, Piastri's starting to look like he fits right in at the top with the with some of these top drivers. It, it's kind of impressive coming from a rookie. But, I mean, when you're a three-time champion in the last three series, kind of makes sense. Lando, I don't think that they expected, or Lando more McLaren in general, they didn't expect the speed that they had. They talked about this in the, in the uh, conference afterwards, but they had a crazy pace, and nobody from McLaren was expecting them to be fighting on the podium this week. So that was cool for them. I would have liked to have seen Oscar outperform the initial McLaren car this season where McLaren was clearly struggling. They had a lot of reliability issues. They had a lot of pace issues and we didn't see Oscar outperform the bad car. It is nice to see him perform well in a good car. Now that we know McLaren's turned things around Um, that does lead towards a bright future for him. Obviously, like if you put any of these drivers in one of the best cars on the grid, they'll do better um we'll just see how the season plays out maybe he has a nice couple of finishes gets a podium who knows maybe he gets a win if verstappen just has a really really bad week or as lando says just retires <laughs> yeah well yeah i heard him say that too i'm gonna jump into qualifying if you don't mind go for it so q1 we see joe guan Yu top the charts oh also i should premise this this is the this is qualifying with Q1, everybody on hards, Q2, everybody on mediums, and Q3, everybody on sauce for those of you that did not watch. So the revised Joe, qualifying format being exactly. tested this year. So Joe Guan Yu topping the charts on the hards was insane. That's why I had to put that little note in there for you. George Russell didn't make it out of Q1 as he starts 18th on the grid. He it was another one of those scenarios where a bunch of traffic piles up right before the track, the lap starts in the very, very last corner going into the straight to start your last lap. And so it was a bunch of traffic, a bunch of people kind of cut out in front of him. I want to say Lando Norris did, but whatever, to each its own. He ends up not getting a good start to his lap, and that'll hurt him for the rest of the lap. He's not able to improve. He's out. It's the same it's the same thing that's affected every Mercedes driver this year, every Ferrari driver this year, and Sergio Perez. If you don't get a heater in early and you wait till the end or something causes you to wait till the end, it rarely works out. That's very unfortunate for George. Um, Q2 brought Carlos Sainz, who did not make it. Unfortunately, he was out in Q2 by 0.002 seconds. Two thousandths of a second, and he was out. That's insane. He lined up in 15th. Norris goes the fastest. Little fun fact for you. I will jump into Q3 to kind of wrap this little qualifying sesh out. Lewis Hamilton takes pole, and he takes pole by three thousandths. Now, here's where this is important, because everybody was gearing up for their last couple laps. Max Verstappen does not improve. He has a strong sector one, doesn't have a strong sector two, and isn't able to maximize the rest of the lap for sector three and take pole position. Lewis, on the other hand, sees this on his monitor, or I'm not sure if maybe the race engineer was telling him, uh, either way, he's made aware that he was only three thousandths off. And he's like, hey, I can grab that. And so he goes, or whatever, the I think it was three thousandths. Anyway, he goes and he takes it, takes pole position by three thousandths of a second. Zhou Guan Yu comes in fifth place. Valtteri Bottas in seventh place. And again, Nico Hulkenberg in the top 10 and 10th place. 
I was, uh, we've always rooted for Valtteri Botas and, and, you know, we've, we talked early on, I think this season in one of our podcast episodes about how we wanted to see Joe kind of step up and, and show that he, you know, has what it takes to get another contract. And these are like well exceeding the results that you would expect from Joe to earn a spot on the grid getting fifth. You just have to hold on to that on race day, buddy. And we'll jump into that in our next segment, but that's <laughs> very unfortunate, but it was really cool to see, you know, Joe yep. topping the charts and qualifying numero uno on the hard tires. And as they get towards the soft, he stays in the fight ending fifth. I thought that was really impressive. Yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into the turn one analysis for your Hungarian Grand Prix. All right, so real quick before we get into the race start and the lap by lap, this is the Hungarian Grand Prix. It is a very iconic track if you look at it from like an aerial view. There's some huge sweeping turns mixed in some hairpins. It's also a lot shorter than I thought in my head. It's It runs about the same time as the Red Bull ring in Austria, but man, doesn't Austria feel like a lot shorter than Hungary? I, I don't know how that is. Um, only two DRS zones. The trick here is that there's only one um, detection zone. So if you get DRS for one of the zones, you automatically get it for both of the zones, <laughs> which usually leads to people overtaking in the first one and then getting a free pass in the second one. Um, the major overtaking zones are at turn one and turn two, which is what 95% of the overtakes happen in this race were. And then going into this race, a big record on the line for the Red Bull team as a constructor. They are looking to win 12 races in a row. They are currently tied prior to this race with McLaren at 11 wins in a row for a constructor. 12 would break the record. So some huge implications on the line from their perspective. Because if you lose that, you've now essentially got to wait a whole nother season to try to win it again because you've got to win 12 in a row. (laughs) Which, you know, you win the rest of the races outright and a little bit into next season and you can extend that lead. But still, that'd be pretty unfortunate. (laughs) And then just real quick, looking at the uh, the grid that Jeremiah detailed, Hamilton and Verstappen sharing the front row for the first time since 2021, the championship showdown race in Abu Dhabi. I also have a note on the Aston Martin scandal that's going on and not scandal as in something crazy happened, but it's more like the fact that why aren't they able to keep up with these top teams? And I kind of came to the same point, but I think my analysis ended with the fact that I don't think that they are just bringing the same upgrades that everybody else is. So, I mean, they might've started with a great base to start the season, but the upgrades that Ferrari, Mercedes and McLaren are bringing are just outmatched completely when you're talking about Aston Martin. I mean, they just, so, so them and Ferrari, Aston Martin, Ferrari bought upgrades at the same time, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks, break weeks ago. And since then, we've seen Ferrari be much more competitive with Aston Martin than they were prior to both teams rolling out with upgrades. So whatever Ferrari did, and obviously whatever McLaren did, has just kind of nudged them ahead of the Aston Martin team. Okay, let's get into uh, turn one. Jeremiah, do you have our analysis this week? By far, probably the craziest turn one that we've had this season. Um, I'm going to try and break this down the best that I can. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of say what I saw out there, and then we're going to talk about the changes that happened. Okay. So right off the bat, we've got Verstappen, Hamilton, and Norris going three wide, with Norris being on the far outside, Verstappen sneaking up the inside, and Hamilton kind of sandwiched in between. So this causes Verstappen, since he's so far inside, to go way outside for the next one, causing him to get in front of everybody. Piastri sneaks up underneath, which was awesome to see by the way so Piastri now climbs up behind Verstappen 
Um, bad clutch problems for Joe drops him way down the grid. He gets passed by nine cars off the jump. Bottas has to swerve out of the way of Joe on the bay or on the uh, start, causing him to lose all of his acceleration. He's now going to fall back down the grid a little bit. Gasly up the outside. So he's going to come flying out the outside corner and he's going to get ahead of Ocon. That's important because what happens next is tragic. Joe Guan Yu is going to get it right into the back of uh, Daniel Ricardo, And the reason why is because he just got on the brakes late. They locked up a little bit. He slaps the back of Ricardo, who then slaps the back of Ocon, who then slaps the side of Gasly. And Ocon goes ramping up, slaps the bottom of this car, breaking his seat. And everybody falls down the grid. Chaos everywhere. Now, that's what I saw. Now let's talk about some of the changes because some of these position changes are absolutely crazy. Obviously, Verstappen's going to take first. Piastri's going to jump two spots to take second. Hamilton's down two spots now to third. Norris down one spot. He's going to go down to fourth. Leclerc up. Carlos Sainz has an amazing start off the line, weaves through all the traffic, comes up five spots. He's now going to land in six. Alonso moves up to seventh. Perez up to eighth. Bottas drops down to ninth. Hulkenberg's going to go straight through in 10th, hold his position. Stroll goes up three positions. He's going to move up to 11th. Sonoda follows, goes up five positions. He's now in 12th. Albon jumps up three positions. He's in 13th. Russell jumps up four positions. He's in 14th. Joe falls down to 15th on the grid after all of this mix happens. Magnuson moves up three spots. He's going to take your 16th spot. Sargent moves up three spots. He's in 17th. Gasly, Ricardo, and Ocon are going to round out your 18th, 19th, and 20th after horrible losses. Gasly dropping three positions, Ricardo six, and Ocon eight. Yeah, I could have. I, I really thought there was two orange cars ahead of Hamilton's uh, car, so I it probably happened in turn two. I that was crazy. There were too many cars and they were like four and five wide. And I didn't know who was who I didn't even know which Alpine had hit, which Alpine at that point, like it was very tough to tell whether it was Ocon or Gasly or Joe, like you mentioned, I watched his restart a couple of times and he just sits there on the grid and doesn't go anywhere. And so like kid, when you get the big stage and you're starting in fifth place, you have to <laughs> nail that race start. You cannot bog down. You can't sit there. You can't forget to release the clutch. I don't know what he did. Yeah, I, I he said something. I was listening. I went and actually watched his onboard during the process, and he said something about his clutch to the engineer. I couldn't make out what he was saying, but it had to be some kind of maybe he released it, but it, it had a delayed release or something like that. I don't know. Something didn't hook right. Anyway, he didn't get any kind of movement whatsoever he, until he probably crumpled under like, the pressure. No, no, hang on a second. Before you go saying that that was Joe Guan Yu's fault, it could have been the Alfa Romeo problem. It could have been some kind of clutch problem, some kind of control panel problem. That hasn't happened ever before, except for when he starts in the highest that he's ever started. I don't know. It's just tough for me to judge one of the 20th 20th best drivers in all of the world. (laughs) So Jeremiah mentioned um, Ocon snapped his seat in half. I think we learned about that a couple of laps later, which I didn't even know that that was a thing that could break in a car, but uh, that probably hurt. Uh, And then Gasly during that mess, as he's coming out of that turn, his tire flies off his car. One last little note there with Gasly, or I mean, with Ocon's seat cracking in half, he actually had to get examined in the medical tent afterwards because they were like, hey, man, if your seat cracked, we're just going to take a look at your bag. Just make sure everything's coming out all right. Still attached. You're good. Okay, great. <laughs> if this high quality carbon fiber Kevlar right. <laughs> seat cracked in half, let's see if your back also cracked in half. <laughs> oh, man. 
Man, okay, so as Jeremiah mentioned, uh, Hamilton holds third out of turn one, and then uh, Norris regains that position. And I got to go back and watch that because it was just, it was too much. But Piastri has the biggest move coming out of turn one and jumps into second, other than Verstappen obviously taking the lead from Hamilton. Um, I will say this. They held positions after turn one and turn two for the following eight laps that's the first time we've ever seen that i think lap two i make this note signs is in six right on the claire and they should have switched right then and there on lap two because signs was on softs and leclerc was running on mediums and they should have switched the drivers and they didn't and they will Mm -hmm. question that decision for the following like 17 laps uh, lap two is also where we get the official double DNF for Alpine. It follows up on their last race, the British Grand Prix, where they also double DNF'd. Um, just huge losses for the Alpine team. Skipping ahead to lap nine, because like I said, everybody holds position. Verstappen starts pulling away. The top five actually start kind of kind of start pulling away. Lap nine, Sergio Perez starts his recovery drive. He finally catches up to Fernando Alonso. It's a little bit of a battle, and then he passes him for seventh place. Alonso knew that that wasn't his place to have i guess perez is just faster lap 11 signs is told to switch with leclerc and then sign says no 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 it's too early that baffled me a little bit i didn't understand uh lap 12 piastri running in second norris in third and i thought oscar piastri was navigating second place very well he was holding a four and a half second lay, uh, gap to verstappen he was holding just over a two second lead over norris he just looked comfortable driving in second place. And I think that's what you're looking for out of the young rookie driver. Well, see, that's exactly what I was bringing up earlier when I was talking about how he seems like he almost fits right in with some of these top drivers. You can tell yep. that even though he has a massive experience gap, it's not going to hinder him whatsoever. He's going to come and attack. Lap 13. I thought the radio messages throughout the day were pretty cool by the teams. Piastri is told to go maximum pace. <laughs> Which, as you're, if you're a driver, that's got to be what you're looking for, right? You're not out there to lift and coast, as Hamilton was told later on the race. You're, you're there to go max pace. Watch the tires, please. Please watch the <laughs> tires. Cool, cool the tires. Uh, <laughs> lap 15, Carlos signs radios in that he is watching for Sergio Perez to box before he goes. Although, like 10 seconds after that radio message comes in, signs boxes for hards, and Perez had not boxed at that point. So I wonder if there was like a really big delay in that radio message getting to the TV broadcast because watching it live, you're like, but he just said he was in it. And then he boxes in it. It didn't matter. I've been thinking about this a lot in every race that I've watched and I've never talked about it. I've never heard it talked about anywhere. These radio messages are not when they actually happen. And I know that right. for a fact. Well, I don't no. know that for a fact, but there's no way, dude. Because sometimes some of these drivers will get like, okay, box, box. And they're like entering the pits already. And I'm like, okay, no, <laughs> no. Okay, lap 16, Lewis Hamilton is told it's hammer time by his team, which that was also pretty cool. This is when they bring on Christian Horner from the pit wall, and he says that he believes it could be a three-stop race with all the early stops happening, which, again, just throws a wrench into all the strategist plans that we're planning on a two-stop. I wrote down this question, which maybe you can help me with. They're running the softest tires in the Pirelli lineup for this race, the, the last three compounds out of the six. Why don't they just run harder compound tires and make it a projected one- or two-stop race? 
I guess they could, but they're trying to basically it's track uh, distance is from what I've gathered from it, at least, is that when you have these shorter tracks, you're going to use the softer compounds just because you want to be able to get as much maximum speed out of it as possible. And regardless of what you might think, if you're on a very softer compound that doesn't last as long, but you're going a lot faster, you actually make up more time than you would lose if you just didn't do another pit stop on a, on a harder tire compound. That's a good point. So maybe their simulations are like, okay, a three stop on the softest range will go faster than a one or two stop on the medium range. Right. And they test all these strategies out on the simulator way. Like, I mean, days before the race, days, days before. (laughs) Okay. Lap 17 is where we get some legitimate pit stop starting Norris pits and comes out in fifth. He is going for an undercut on Piastri. Not sure if that's a him thing or a team thing. I have a hint that it's a team thing. Lap 18. Piastri pits, so one lap later, Piastri pits. It's a just over two-second stop, so really efficient by the McLaren team, and he comes out right next to Lando Norris. Norris does have the speed advantage, though, going around that big sweeping turn one. Piastri goes to fifth, Norris to four, and I have a theory that that's kind of what McLaren wanted. They wanted Lando, the tenured driver, the guy with experience, leading their team's charge for the day. Yeah, that's where the controversy starts to set, because at the end of the day, if if they pit Oscar first, Oscar gets on the podium and Lando doesn't. I mean, I feel like these guys, like I say, I've said this in the past and I still stand by it. Lando still has a very minor pace advantage, but it is just that a minor pace advantage. This is what we wanted to see out of Nick DeVries and Sonoda. This is what we wanted to see out of Logan Sargent and Alex Albon. We see a rookie actually starting to catch his teammate. I think that they knew that there would be a battle towards the last 10 or so laps of the race between Hamilton, Perez, and possibly a Ferrari. And so they thought, let's have Norris be the one to defend versus Oscar. And we did see Oscar get picked apart by Perez and Hamilton. So maybe that was a good a good plan on their part. Okay, lap 20. Uh, Hamilton asks how the McLarens have a nine-second gap on him after yeah. their hit. And he's mainly just impressed, I think. I think that's all his question was, was he was impressed. And he mentioned that in the British Grand Prix post-race interviews that he was just surprised with how well the McLaren team was doing. Uh, Charles Leclerc is battling with Lance Stroll for 10th. Leclerc does get the overtake uh, with DRS at terms two. It kind of seems to me like the Ferrari and Aston Martin are even powered cars. If you take a look at their overall power, their speed, and their ability to corner, I think Stroll just isn't able to defend on Charles Leclerc's level yet. Alonso has pitted on lap 20 and comes out in 11th, and he is just, everything about his race was slow. Fernando was not, his pit stop was slow. His race pace was slow. Just slow. Sorry. Fernando. Well, yeah, well, that's what I was kind of talking about where I was like, I think it might just be Aston Martin not able to come up with the upgrades necessary to keep up with everybody because you're not going to sit here and tell me that this guy who was competing for second and third all of a sudden is slow. Like It doesn't make sense to me. It's the car. I mean, that's what it, it, it looks like. He's in the Alpine, right? Of past or. It, and that's, that's exactly the thought that I had today as I saw what position they were in today. Looks like he's in a middle of the pack Alpine. Right. Lap 21, Piastri comes on the radio and says, uh, hey, what do you want me to do? Uh, I've never <laughs> been here before. And the team says, hey, monitor your tires, maintain your target lap time, basically hinting at don't race Lando right now. Just, yeah. st- just hang out. Be cool. Listen here, bud. Your race is over. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile while they're telling <laughs> Piastri that his race is over, Norris runs the fastest lap. 
So they're running two very different strategies at McLaren, but it did work out, I think, in the end. Lap 23, Verstappen finally pits. He ran his initial set of mediums a uh, pretty good distance. He comes out three seconds ahead of Perez, who had not pit at that point, and five seconds ahead of Norris, who had pit. Perez on lap 23 was down three seconds to Verstappen, and this is how much a pit stop hurts. He pits on 20, lap 24 and comes out now 23 seconds behind Verstappen. So just when you think you're so close to first place in the race, no, you're actually half a minute behind first place in the race. <laughs> Lap 27, a little bit of action. Perez with DRS and signs going at it into the epic turn one in Hungary. Perez takes the inside line, which was the favorable line for overtakes, takes the position, defends it, then gets DRS again and pulls ahead sufficiently from signs. Perez goes into sixth. Lap 28, Leclerc now gaining on signs. Perez gaining on Russell. Uh, Perez makes a pass at turn two again, just like the lap before this time on Russell. So again, it's another recovery drive, but boy, is he good at it. Lap 31 Perez is told just reel him in, just reel him in. That's great. That's awesome. He was getting half a second to a whole second on Hamilton every lap. Meanwhile, Hamilton was also gaining on Piastri. So while Perez is getting on Hamilton, he's gaining on Piastri. Perez is great, man. I know he doesn't qualify well, but he's so good at working his way up the field. And it says so when he got driver of the day. I think to that point, I think that the only reason that he's good at moving through the grid is because he has to. I think yeah. that if you put Max Verstappen at the back of the grid, he moves up through the grid almost twice the speed that Sergio does. It shouldn't have had to be that way, right? I mean, if Max started the race from the pits, he could go 20 to one. What's their, what's their point in saying that? I don't know. I, like I said, I guess we have a different perspective than the the announcers that have been doing this for like a hundred years. But I don't know. <laughs> They're probably I guess right. We're, I, I we're guess we're wrong. wrong. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Russell in eleventh. This is lap thirty three. We're not even halfway done with the race. Russell in eleventh, fifty one seconds off the lead. Goodness, Max Verstappen. <laughs> lap thirty seven. Perez is one point four seconds to Hamilton, so not quite striking distance, but close. And he's also running 1.2 seconds faster per lap than Piastri is. Lap 39 is where Perez is in striking distance. He cuts the gap to under one second. And then finally, lap, where is it? 42, Perez goes into, uh, goes for it into turn two, backs out on the outside line. Hamilton holds on to fourth after defending. But then Hamilton says, I'm starting to lose the rears, guys. And you're like, just the middle of the race for the Mercedes. They can't quite figure out after Perez loses that battle. He pits going for the undercut on Hamilton because you know what Perez is thinking? I can get second in this race. I don't care about Lewis Hamilton. I'm going for two lap 47. The battle, sorry, 46. The battles for fourth uh, Piastri fourth Perez fifth. There's a one second gap. Uh, Leclerc also is given a five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. And Mercedes is betting on a safety car that they will never get because they are riding their hards until they die. Lap 47, Perez gets DRS into turn one. He takes the outside line, forces Piastri wide. Perez overtakes and maintains fourth. Perez forcing Piastri wide makes him go into the dirt, makes him run off the track, and then Piastri is cited for track limits. (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought that was a little bit ridiculous because it was very clear that he didn't have anywhere that he could have gone. And track limits, I thought that was really only necessary if you were gaining an advantage of some sort, unless it's like qualifying, in which case you're super strict on it. So that whole scenario there, I was kind of watching it like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Not only did he not gain an advantage, he lost a position. <laughs> like, right. What do you want him to do? Uh, lap 56, uh, Norris says that he has a 6.6 gap to Perez, who's behind him in third, and Norris is clearly frustrated with his response, saying, I know, I'm pushing, basically, leave me alone. I'm really mad that there's a Red Bull behind me right now. <laughs> it gave me, like, Raikkonen vibes. I don't know if you ever heard uh, his radio call where he's like, just leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> like That's exactly how I felt with Lando Norris in that moment. You can feel the tension as somebody who is clearly way faster than you, just you're watching the time just get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. It's like, I know I'm trying. And even as good as the McLaren car is now, it's still not on the level of that Red Bull. Lap 57, Hamilton turns up the heat. He's got DRS. He's taking inside lines (laughs) at turn one for the first time all day. Gets a second dose of DRS. And he passes Mr. Oscar Piastri for fourth place. Still 10 seconds behind uh, Sergio Perez, though. But, I mean, a good recovery drive, I think, for Hamilton getting back to where he was after the poor start to the race, which, again, he didn't really have a lot of control over at that start. He got sandwiched. He missed the inside line. He didn't the best he could do. Lap 60, Norris, still frustrated, comes on the radio and says that the uh, back markers are frustrating them and, quote, they're not racing for anything. Mr. Lando Norris, might I remind you, for the first 10 races of the season, you were a back marker. <laughs> yeah, that Lando said a couple things this weekend that kind of didn't sit well with me. Sit well, but um, we'll talk about the rest of it in the, re- the roll-up after this. I did not like, however, the fact that uh, like you said, here they were a backmarker at the beginning of the season. I mean, we're talking about the McLaren that wasn't really doing anything for the first like six races, seven races, eight races. And so f- for him to be like, they're not even in this race anyway, I feel like that was more of a projection of how he felt the beginning of the season. He felt like he was racing for nothing. Yeah, like if he he was a backmarker, so he knew like if you're a backmarker, you're supposed to get out of the way. That's the whole point. You get a, right. shown a blue flag or a blue light, you're supposed to get out of the way. And they weren't getting out of his way as easy as he would have thought. And because I guess he spent the whole season as backmarker getting out of people's way, he thought he knew how to do it better than they did. <laughs> Lap 61, Verstappen's team comes on the radio and says, hey, Max, just want to check in. And Max is like, I'm all good. Wouldn't it be so boring to be an engineer for Max Verstappen? Because you literally have nothing to share with him, nothing to report, nothing to ask him to do. Nothing matters. They they don't have to give him anything. <laughs> yeah, I think it gets to a point where you're just waiting for him to come on the radio and be like, oh, the steering's a bit tight. And then somebody stands up and goes, yes. And then starts walking over the car and starts tweaking something. <laughs> just Like, it, I wonder if the, the engineers are contractually obligated to like radio message every five laps. And that's why on lap 61, they were just like, hey, you good? <laughs> Yeah, but he talked about that, Max being, he talked about this a lot in the kind of the after race conferences. He was like, yeah, the car was a dream to drive. Um, You know, he he complimented the car a lot this weekend, which was kind of out of the ordinary for Max because 
even whenever he has like a 25 second lead, he's still talking about problems with the car. And at the end of the day, I guess that's what you need. If you, uh, if you're trying to improve throughout the season, you don't want to just have the exact same car for every race, but it was kind of weird to have a weekend where we just didn't hear any kind of notes whatsoever. I honestly think that he just, I feel like up until every race before this, he felt like the title was still on the line. And I think this was the first time in the season. He's like, and I know that he like, like realistically, we know that he's going to win and we've known that he's going to win since the third race of the season. But I think in his head as a racer, as a professional racer, he's like stuff is going wrong. The car isn't right, whatever. And this was the first weekend where he's like, I've got this. Like literally (laughs) nothing is going to throw me off at this point. Lap 62, Ted Kravitz made a really stupid point, I thought. Sorry, Ted Kravitz. Uh, Ted Kravitz is the pit lane reporter for Sky Sports, and he says, I think Ferrari might be doing something by having Carlos Sainz stay five seconds back from Charles Leclerc because Charles Leclerc has his five-second penalty. No, he's not. No, he's not. Ferrari doesn't care in what order they finish. They're not having Sainz maintain a five-second gap to Leclerc. No, sorry. That was a dumb point to even bring up to make a TV audience question. Jeez. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. If that's your first race, that would really confuse you as a fan. Like that would make you really hate team orders or the aspect of a team or team management. Yeah, yeah that's true. It could have been looked at as an aspect of, hey, that kind of sucks because it means that no matter how good you get, there's always a chance your team's going to make you slow down. And I get what you're saying there. I don't think that it was team orders in that moment. It was, no. And maybe it wasn't a necessary comment, to be honest. Maybe he could have just kind of let that slide under. He could have said, oh, his teammate is five seconds behind him, which means he wouldn't, you know, make the pass on him or whatever, but eh, whatever. Okay, uh, lap 63. This was an odd comment by Russell. Usually we get funny messages at the end of the race from George Russell, but this time he says he wants to box with like six laps left in the race. And the team is like, no, you'll lose like two spots, George. Yeah. What is- <laughs> Um, literally one and a half laps later between lap 64 and 65, as it carried over, Russell was gaining on, uh, I believe Carlos signs for seventh, um, Russell gets the DRS and the overtake. So I, I don't know why he wanted to, to take a pit stop there. I had a note on this. I don't know where this came from, but this wasn't just a George Russell kind of thing. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell both got this insane pace advantage at the very end of the race in the last few laps. Don't know where it came from because they were holding a steady pace, the same as all the other cars. And then all of a sudden Lewis Hamilton is gaining on Fernando. I mean, uh, Lewis Hamilton is gaining on Sergio Perez. And all of a sudden we see him, uh, George Russell gaining on Oscar Piastri and gaining on uh, everybody else. I was kind of like thinking that they were out of the race at this point. Like we are getting a finish basically how it is right now. But with that time getting closer and closer and closer, I was like, Oh, maybe lewis hamilton takes third something about their the mercedes car on low fuel is just insanely good and maybe that shows why lewis hamilton got pole position right like you run zero fuel for qualifying just enough to do two laps and he takes pole lap 68 uh leclerc only has 3.6 on russell remember that he needs five to hold his position uh, Hamilton in fourth is gaining on Sergio Perez in third, about a half a second a lap. Uh, there's a quick double yellow flag for Logan Sargent when they they clean up real quick as he spins out. And I was really hoping that there wasn't going to be a safety car right then because that would mean that the race would effectively be over. Uh, so luckily that we didn't get that. 
Lap 69, Hamilton has sliced the gap to Perez down to two seconds. So you're like, okay, he's got two seconds to get two laps. Uh, this is also when Logan Sargent DNFs because he just pulls in the pit and they're like, yeah, it's not worth you doing another lap. <laughs> Sorry. And then lap 70, Perez opens up the gap back to 1.6. I'm not entirely sure how he did that. I guess just clean driving or maybe Lewis let off the, the gas a little bit. Uh, but the race ends. Perez holds on to third by, I believe, 1.4 seconds. Russell ends up jumping Leclerc for six because of Leclerc's penalty. And we finish the race with the following order. Let me read it off my screen so I get it right. Verstappen, Norris, Perez, Hamilton, Piastri, Russell, Leclerc, Sainz, Alonso, and Stroll rounding out your top 10. Some of your big name qualifiers like Valtteri Botas and Zhou Guan Yu ended up finishing 12th and 16th, respectively. And then you had the three DNFs of the Alpine team and Logan Sargent. Okay. Well, not bad for the lap by lap. Thanks for that. Also, fun to mention that Hulkenberg also finished in 14th when he started in 10th. So there's a little fun for you. Kind of Danny Ricardo. Danny Ricardo finished exactly where he started. So that was a bonus. He made his way back up. That's good. Yeah. I don't know how to rate Daniel Ricardo's day. Like it wasn't a bad day to get 13th in a really bad AlphaTauri car, but it also wasn't like it wasn't like a, an epic, you know, return to the grid getting top eight or something like that. So we'll see. If we're going to, before we get start talking like this, let's just go ahead and mention it. Let's, let's talk about the winners and losers of this kind of whole process here. Certainly. So obviously, uh, I mean, Max Verstappen and Red Bull. So Verstappen wins by 33 plus seconds. Uh, that is the 250th podium for Red Bull. It's the 44th win for Max Verstappen, which that seems like a really high number, but I guess it's not really anymore because he's just been winning since he was 16 years old. Um, it is the seventh consecutive win for Max Verstappen. He joins the likeness of Alberto Ascari, Sebastian Vettel, Rosberg, Michael Schumacher, which if you didn't check out our uh, Turn 1 podcast episode on Dominance... <laughs> This uh, directly ties to that, and uh, his dominance in 2023 continues. Red Bull clinches the record for most wins in a row by a constructor with 12. Now they hold the record outright, and it is mathematically possible for Verstappen to win the Drivers' Championship by the Singapore Grand Prix, which would be about six races left in the year, five races left in the year, which is just insane with the amount of points that are left after that, that he could just have the whole thing. First of all, I can't believe that 1988 was when this record was set and by our team that we've been talking about on multiple. We find ourselves talking about them a lot on this podcast. The it's car was of, great. The team was great. Everything about the 80. I mean, the paint scheme on the car was great. The performance, the, <laughs> uh, but that 1988 McLaren team, Alan Pross and, um, Oh, Ayrton Senna. Jeez. Um, that was a great car. It was a great team. Is I mean, great season. It's hard to beat that. And the fact that Red Bull was able to put together such a great run and probably going to extend it even further. It's insane, man. Some of the other winners, uh, obviously McLaren, they just had a good day to start high and then relatively hold position. Obviously, Oscar um, dropped back to fifth, but, you know, he was competing with Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez. Like, what do you want from the kid? Uh, Piastri shows that he can drive a good car. I think he's legit, right? You know, he's, he's 
like Jeremiah mentioned earlier on, he definitely fits in up in that group of drivers. He's not uh, a back marker, if you will. Uh, Sergio Perez is a winner. He had an aggressive recovery drive, and I'm pretty sure this is him securing his second place in the drivers. He just, he he's not giving up. He's finishing too high consistently over the people that are fighting for second place. And I think this is showing that he's going to hold on and it's going to be a Red Bull one too. Uh, final, final winner is going to be George Russell going from 18th to 6th place. And then your losers. Alfa Romeo. How are you going to start? In what? Where did Botas start? Ninth. Botas started in seventh, and uh, I believe that's right. And Joe started in fifth. How are you going to drop down to twelfth and sixteenth and call yourself a Formula One team? Uh, Oscar Piastri, I put as a winner and a loser, but hang on, he's a loser only because the team gave the green light to Norris over him, and honestly, he could have been on the podium instead of Lando, like Jeremiah yeah. pointed out earlier. Still a good result, though. Uh, Hamilton going from pole to fourth. That's going to be a big hit, I think, to his kind of confidence, even though I think it was a good result for Hamilton in that Mercedes car. It stinks losing out on pole position. It has a good final kick, just middle of the race. It really struggles. And then finally, uh, I don't think we mentioned him, Alpine. What a pile of crap. Again... (laughs) Neither one of the drivers' fault, not the team's fault, nobody's fault except for probably Joe Guan Yu on that one. I just see DNF by their name, so it looks to me like it was their fault. I'm cutting dry guy. <laughs> uh, there wasn't really much talked about in the driver interview. I think it was mainly just Max talking about how you know the upgrades were good. It seemed like everything was going well. They helped out in the turns more than the straightaways as well, how he described it. Um McLaren, we talked about earlier how they're still looking strong. Williams had a great day. Well, Alex Albon, but regardless, uh, Williams had a strong day. Maybe not the best that they could have had. They didn't get points. They finished 11th. That's still a strong showing considering he's finishing in 10th and 11th in almost every single race now. Great points by Albon. I mean, a great driving by Albon. Daniel Ricardo finishing 13th. I don't think it was enough for us to figure out really what he's going to be doing. I think if we can find a race where on turn one and going through the actual race, he doesn't crash out instantly. I think we'll be able to see things a little bit better. Oscar Piastri is looking hot, looking hot, catching up to Lando. Not exactly there yet, but it's really close. And Sergio with another historic drive. That's all I got for you, man. I don't know what to tell you. I will say real quick that, uh, uh, when they were talking to Lando Norris in the uh, the post race interview, they were like, "Hey, w- you know, how has McLaren upgraded so much, right?" And Lando just said, "Oh, the factory and hard work." And then he said, "They've known from the beginning of the season that this was coming." And I have two thoughts on that. One, if you knew at the beginning of the season what performance was possible with the car that you had, why didn't you just start with that version of the car rather than what you rolled out? And my other thing is, from a driver's perspective, how frustrating is it for Lando Norris and, and to a lesser extent, Oscar Piastri to know that your team is working on this upgrade that's going to give you 10 seconds in race pace, but you can't have it for 10 races? (laughs) Yeah, I think that they just got it wrong to start off with. And once they saw how far off wrong they were, they were like, oh, no. (laughs) And they they know how to fix it. But again, it's going to take three months to fix it and you just have to race in what you have until then 
the last note that I have, I want to give a shout out to, I think it was J bone. I don't remember who it was that had this joke, but I thought it was hilarious and I wanted to shout it out. Somebody said that with Red Bull releasing a new upgrade that was going to make them two tenths faster that, and it was going to be a side pod upgrade that the conspiracy was, is that Red Bull figured out how to make Mercedes zero pods work properly and that they were going to bring in the Mercedes zero pods as their upgrades. And I thought that that was the funniest thing that I had seen leading up into this race by far. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I'll say that the funniest thing after the race, though, if that was the funniest thing before the race, Lando Norris broke Max Verstappen's trophy. Oh, how did I forget to bring this up? Wow. Hang on. First off, not a good idea to have a ceramic trophy sitting on the podium stand when you have dudes running and jumping around spraying champagne on each other. Well, when you know that your signature is to smash a champagne bottle on the ground and have the, uh, the court go flying up, maybe you look for a solid surface that doesn't have a ceramic breakable trophy standing at the top. <laughs> they both just looked at it and laughed. Also, I don't know if you heard all of the post-race interviews that happened with Lando, whether it was from the F1 people or from if it was from the actual media itself or whoever it was. Just Everybody kept coming at Lando and being like, hey, man, what happened with the trophy? And finally, Lando started answering him hilarious. He was like, oh, that's Max's problem. <laughs> I was like, jeez. Just like when they asked him, they said, uh, do you think you can get a win? He's like, yeah, I don't know if Max retires. Yeah, Red Bull and McLaren were having a lot of fun on Twitter, too. Red Bull was like, it's time to bust out the glue or something like that. <laughs> Lando posted, like, there's an ancient Japanese art. Whenever there's a broken ceramic dish or glass dish, you put the pieces back together with glue, and then you fill in the cracks with, like, gold, and then it makes it look decorative. And so he posted that on his story in regards to the trophy. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. All right, guys, if y'all have any thoughts or observations from the Hungarian Grand Prix you want to share, let us know in the comments. Reach out to us on Facebook, TikTok, or Instagram, or certainly the YouTube comment section. We would love to get y'all's feedback. But other than that, Jeremiah, you got anything else? Guys, a couple questions. Is is Sergio Perez going to hold on to that number two spot? Will Lando Norris pass Lewis Hamilton? Is he going to pass the Ferrari drivers? Can Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin figure out their way back to the top? I want to hear what y'all's thoughts are. Let us know down below, please. That's all I got. All right, guys. We'll see you. Bye, guys.